0: Welcome to Rock Harbor Church's channel on Sermon Audio. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and that it helps you in your daily walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So please, settle in and grab your Bibles. Here's this week's message with Associate Pastor Brett Finister and Associate Pastor Frank Montoya. Taking our stand against evil.
1: Morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Good. Well, like I said, I'm I'm Pastor Brett. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Rock Harbor Church. Um, I'm also, I do the, I'm the youth and young adults pastor here, as well as I do some uh, pastoral counseling and things like that. So those are a few things that I do here for anyone that didn't know. Um, But today, like Pastor Brandon was saying, this is a very timely message because we're facing a lot of evil. Um, I mean, we see it everywhere and we we have wokeism and the Babylonian religious system is everything's coming in at us, right? Everywhere we go. And there's an attack on us. And it's it's so important too for our younger people, since I I teach the the young adults and youth, it's so important for them to have a biblical foundation, to teach them upright, because what they're facing is is crazy. I mean, we never, even me, never had to face these type of things that they're gonna have to face. If it's the LGBT, if it's uh, abortion, and so on and so on, that they're having to face. And what happens if they don't get a biblical foundation, they go off to these colleges and everything else and get woke, or they don't have a biblical foundation, so they don't know how to stand up for their faith. They don't know how to fight uh, They don't know how to fight these lies. They don't know how to speak the truth, because they don't have anything to stand on, right? And so, remember that too. And they—they're saying right now. I read is that Gen Z is the first post-Christian generation, and Millennials now. I think it's forty-three percent don't know, or don't care, or believe in God. So we see, as the generations go, the further and further away we've gotten you know, away from God, and we're seeing that play out, and they're attacking our kids. And they're, um, if it's uh, morals, ethics, Christian morals, Christian ethics, values, all these things are under attack. So we can see that we're definitely in the last days. And so we'll just go through a couple of things. I mean, we've seen, I know we've seen this, but I mean, think about this. These are grown men with little kids sitting on their laps, grown men dressed as women. It's disgusting, that's child abuse. But check out this too, libs of TikTok exposed Palm Springs drag show where a young child danced for money. Think about that. Again, you have grown men dressed as women and a little kid up there dancing around and full grown men throwing money at her. That's child abuse. That's the evil that we're facing. That's the evil that we have to stand up against. And that's what we're seeing. And then we we obviously see this. And I think this is how you know that you're really, how evil things have gotten is when people are upset and mad and crying and fighting and, and making a big fit because it might be harder to kill their baby in the state that they're in. I mean, think about that with rovers way past all that we saw. We saw people upset because we were trying to make it harder, prevent babies from dying. And people are upset over that. That's how evil we've gotten. That's where we're at. And so we know that everything is going this way because of Bible prophecy. So what are we to do? That's what we're going to talk about today. And like Brian said, a very timely message. And so we have to be salt and light We have to be about the Great Commission and we have to know what God has called us to do and we better get to it and start working and be about his business. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world, a city that sets on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And sorry guys, I have the opposite problem is Brandon. I, I have trouble seeing far away and then Brandon can't ever see close. So I'm trying to, I'm squinting to see that. So <laughs> anyways, so with that again, so. So what has happened? So now reading that, we have to be salt and light. We have to take a stand and know that the Holy Spirit's the restrainer, right? And he's restraining us through the church. But too many Christians won't allow him to restrain through them. They've surrendered. They've surrendered. They have quit and they have, what has happened to them? They've lost, their salt has lost their saltiness and they have turned Laodicea. That's what we say. They give up the fight. And so Brandon talked about this before, Laodicea. I know we've heard that over and over, but just to remind ourselves again, you had two rivers coming in to Laodicea. We you know one was hot and one was cold. And when it hit, it became lukewarm. And because of the high mineral content, when you drink it, you would vomit. And so when Jesus is commentating on, on uh, Laodicea, what he's saying is, you know, I wish you were, because th- if we think about it, hot and cold, they both have therapeutic aspects to it, right? And, and they're both good. But what Jesus is saying, you are like the two rivers came together that now are undrinkable, that are useless. And so, so many Christians now are useless and standing up and fighting against evil because they've surrendered. They've given up. However, there's a remnant of believers, the Philadelphia and Smyra element, that continues to fight the spiritual battle. And I know we're all part of that. And thank God for that, that we are all part of that, and that are willing to stand up and take a stand and keep fighting until the Lord calls us home or until the rapture. So I will also think about what are the reasons that we do it for? What are the reasons that we take a stand? Well, first, our Lord, right? To obey him, to be about his business, to do his work. Our families, they're under attack. The nuclear family structure's under attack, our friends, our values, others that we can influence, our churches, our culture, our society, our country. Those are the reasons that we need to take a stand. Those are the reasons that we must stand up against evil. That we are called for such a time as this, to take a stand against evil. So remember that all of us here, it's no mistake that you were born in this time and are sitting here in Bakersfield. It's not a coincidence that, that you're here. There's a reason you weren't born 100 years ago. There's a reason God has you in this time right now because we were born for just a time as this, to take a stand, all of us. So we must figure that out. What is the Lord calling us to do? So we have to remain salt and light against evil. So how do we remain salt and light against evil? So that's what we're gonna look at today. We're gonna study a major, uh, a big decision that Esther had to make And she had to make a big decision. She had to take her stand. And through that, we'll be able to learn some biblical truths through this. So I'll give you guys um, some background before we get into the text so we kind of understand where we're at. So Esther was a Jewish woman who became queen of Persia through God's providence. So basically what happened was King Xerxes gets rid of his wife because she wouldn't come in, which was the queen, she wouldn't come into the... To the king's court and basically parade around for the men. So he gets rid of her, and then now he sends out a thing to gather up all the beautiful virgins, and he forces them to be his um, harems. And so he forces them into that, and then out of that, he's going to pick one as queen, and that is Esther that he picks as queen. And so... You have Haman though, he's second in command. He's an evil man and he wants to set a decree to wipe out all the Jews. It's the same thing we see over and over trying to get rid of the Jews. It's evil, it's satanic. And we see it playing out here again, someone trying to wipe out all the Jews. And so through this, what we'll do today is through this and looking at Esther because Esther does take her stand and she will stand up against this. And through that, we can learn how to take a biblical stand, how to be salt and light, And so today, me and uh, Pastor Frank will go through and we're going to look at four essential truths that will help us and prepare us to do that. So truth one, take a stand against evil. We must get rid of our excuses. Then Esther spoke to Hatech and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's providences know that a man or that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called has but one law, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live, yet I myself have not been called to go into, these, into the king these 30 days. So, So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And so isn't it, isn't it amazing, though, when you think about it, how God shows the characters of the Bible, not as superheroes, but of real people with flaws, with everything, right? I mean, we see it time and time again, just like us, all our flaws and everything. So Esther is a, is a, has godly character, was a very brave woman, but she knows that she can face the ultimate sacrifice, that she could lose her life for doing this. And so it shows us, you know, just the, the true human nature. And All of us. I mean, a lot of us would probably do the same thing. I mean, we're talking about, I'm risking my entire life. And then again, you have Mordecai that's probably pulling out his hair and going crazy because he's sitting there going, Esther, if we don't do something, we're all gonna be wiped out. We're all gonna die. So who cares about protocol? Forget protocol. You know, it's just like, skip that. But that's what he's holding on to. But we saw Esther replied with three excuses. Can't go into the inner court. I haven't been called. Look, I'm gonna die. You can't go in there. I haven't been called for 30 days. So excuses are deal killers for service for God, especially in taking a stand. And we all have them. We all use them. We all use them to not do something. I thought about making some excuses to not have to come up here because I was a little nervous. (laughs) So, but, um, here. so. (laughs) Um, so we make excuses but they're not legitimate i have no time i'm too i'm too busy my life's so complicated look man i'd love to help you guys out i love to serve but you you don't understand my life's complicated i would love to come in and uh do sunday school for you guys and help you out but look i stayed up too late we watched some movies and i'm just not feeling it see all these excuses i'll get fired i'll lose my health care Those were big ones back with COVID and everything else. The reasons why people went along with stuff is because they didn't trust God's providence. They didn't trust that he would provide. And so they get scared. I mean, we we know it's a human nature. We're all, you know, thinking about it, but we must take a stand and we must trust God more than man. And so I'll get fired. I'll lose my health care. I'll lose my family members over this. And that's another big thing is family holds on to people. Excuses for not doing things, that's a big one. If it's, if it's spouses, if it's kids, if it's whatever it is, it's a huge, a huge one to use for excuses. So excuses were even given to Jesus when he walked this earth. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds have the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lie his head. Then he said to another, follow me. But I said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but but let me first go and bid farewell to whom are at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one having put a hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So again, we see the excuses, Look, Jesus, it's just too much sacrifice. Like, I'll go with you, but only if it's easy. Because like, that ever works out like that. It never does. It's always hard. And know that. Just think about that. Whatever you guys are doing, whatever God has called you to do, that it's not gonna be easy. And you're gonna have to push through. And Satan's gonna do everything he can to stop you. And so usually when it's too easy, that's when you might wanna ask yourself, is this really what God wants me to do? Now, at the same time, God will make a way. He will open that door, but you might get up to the edge of that cliff and be like, God, I don't know what you're doing here, but he'll make the way right at the last moment. So we must trust him because it's going to be hard. It's not gonna be easy and it's not gonna be comfortable. The other one was a not enough time. It's another excuse, but the big one that I wanna talk about was divided Loyalty. Another said he, fought, he would follow him, but let me first go and bid farewell. The issue of divided, a divided heart, he puts the family before Jesus. Too many people do this. Divided loyalty will clash and it will pull you further away from God. It won't draw you closer to him. So you can't love the world and love God. You can't serve two masters. You must choose because those two will come and connect at some point and it's gonna pull you away from God. People make excuses, they're If it's even, well, the kid thing that I was saying earlier, that's another big one is our, well, you know, I would love, you know, I would love to go to your guys' church, you know, uh, you guys speak truth and all this, but my kids really have fun at this church. Yeah, they're pretty woke and they'd actually don't really teach the word of God that great, but my kids are having a blast. They get to play for an hour. They only give them a 10 minute devotional. So, I mean, they're not really giving them that much anyway, so I think it's Okay. And they do it off their kids. They'll make, they'll stay and not go to where God's called them to. If it, whatever it is. So that's another, another big one. So excuses are a huge one. So the principle, your priorities will be shown by the excuses you give. And I think that's really good to be able to stop and think about that. Okay, what's something that I know God's called me to do? Or what's something, but what's the excuses I always give for not serving? And then I can figure out, oh, that's where my priorities lie. So truth too, we must use the opportunity the Lord gives us to stand against evil. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than the other Jews, but you and your father's house will perish. So what's going on here is basically Mordecai is saying, Esther, Don't think you're going to escape. Don't think just because you're queen that you're going to get rid of, that you're going to escape this. We're all going to be wiped out. Your family's going to be slaughtered. We're all going to be slaughtered. And as soon as they find out you're a Jew, you're going to go too. So he's telling her, getting her to try to do something, right? Stand up. So Christ promised a reward for those who do take a stand against this. And he who, wait, I'm sorry, I'm missing what have I, I think I'm missing one. Uh, I'm okay, so in, in the, this illustration with the church, we can see this illustration through the church of uh, Thyatira in Revelation 2.20. So we'll start there and then we'll, we'll read on to what we were about to. "'Because you allow that woman Jezebel "'who calls herself a prophetess "'to teach and to subdue my servants "'to commit sexual immorality "'and eat things sacrificed to idols.'" So you see that the church wasn't taking a stand. They wouldn't stand up against the Babylonian teaching that was creeping in. And so they were committing sexual immorality. They were doing idolatry worship. And it sounds really familiar today where all these woke churches are letting in. Homosexuals are being totally gay affirming churches now. Do you know that there's a website you can go to now and you can pick if you're looking for a gay affirming church and you can type it in and they'll show you all of them. Now look, that doesn't mean that we, don't, that we don't care for those people, that we don't love them, that we don't try to get them to the gospel. We're not gonna stand, we're not gonna stand for it though. You can, you can love the person but hate the sin and we're not gonna give into that. And we see the, the whole, all these churches totally giving out, letting that creep in and not taking a stand. So many churches will not take a stand. So many churches are scared to talk about anything. No one wants to talk about these things. I mean, a lot of places we go. I mean, even in the youth and the young adults and all these classes that we're talking, I've talked to other places and hear what they're teaching. They're teaching on none of this. These kids are facing all these things. These kids are facing uh, transgenderism. These kids, you should hear what they tell me what's going on in their high school. There's kids literally that are are transgender. They say they want them to use their pronouns and they're sitting there cutting themselves off with a razor blade in the middle of class. I mean, that's the kind of things that these kids are seeing and facing, but the churches want to be completely silent on it and act like nothing's going on. But we must take a stand. And there's a reason we ought too. We get rewarded for it too, because Christ promised a reward for those who do take their stand against this. And he who overcomes and keeps my word until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessel as I also have received from my father. So what is this talking about? This is talking about ruling and reigning with Christ in the messianic age. Guys, we can be a part of this. If we stand up, if we do what God's called you to do, whatever it is, It may not be teaching, it may not be preaching, it may not be any of that. Maybe it's just at your work. Maybe God just wants you there because you're supposed to evangelize and do his work there. Wherever it is, God sees that. If you're faithful and obey him to the end, you will be rewarded and we will get to rule and reign with Christ. How amazing is that? I look forward to seeing that and being a part of that. But notice in another rewards passage, the parable of the talent and the extreme regret and exclusion that happens to the servants that, man, I can buried his talent. Yeah, well, I should have known that, but that's why I'm gonna read it. <laughs> All right, man, I guess I should read on here. Okay, um, oh man, this is gonna be a hard one. So, um, then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and once, and, oh, sorry. And went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But the Lord answered and said to him, "You wicked and lazy servant! You know where I, I reap where I have not sown, and I gather where I have not scattered. So you ought to have deposited the money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest." So what God's saying right there, or what the what He's saying right there is, look. You would have been better off to give it to someone else that would have actually done something with it, that actually would have taken a stand, that actually would have used his spiritual gifts. Instead, you buried it and did nothing. So take the talent from him and give it to who, uh, give it to him who has ten talents. For everyone who has more, more will be given, and he who has abundance, and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have even that. Even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Okay, so a lot of your commentators are going to say that that one's going to hell. That they're throwing him to hell, right? The outer darkness and the weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he's going to hell. But there's multiple problems with that. Because first, the Lord called them all his servants. And he gave them all a talent. And also he's judging them all at the same time, which would be at the Bema, not a thousand years later at the great right throne judgment. So when it's talking about outer darkness, is a Jewish idiom, it's a, or a metaphor that does not refer to hell. It means to be excluded from a Jewish brightly lit banquet hall at night where one would recline at the table. So they would do this a lot. They would have these things and what it's talking about is they would have been cast out on the street in the dark. And so... Man, I'm missing a. Sorry, I'm. I'm missing another one, man. Sorry, Frank and I try to combine all of ours, so I'm. I'm missing a couple of slides. Um, but uh, let's see if I can pick up here in my notes. Wrap. Okay, so basically, with that is then the next thing is the the uh, the literal event that refers to reclining at a banquet hall at the marriage supper of the lamb is what it's talking about. And it, with Isaac, Jacob and all of them, right? And reclining at a table means to have authority. It means to be, uh, to be ruling and reigning in the messianic age. So that's what it's talking about in this context. It's talking about rewards. It's talking about the marriage supper of the lamb and being there. Now, the weeping and gnashing of teeth is a Jewish idiom to express extreme sorrow, regret or over losing something something very valuable. So in this context, we are talking about losing eternal rewards and having the grief immediately after the Bema over the loss of rewards. And it represents a lost opportunity. And so everyone that thinks that they're gonna cruise along and escape everything, I'm not talking about salvation. Once you're, you're saved, you can never lose that. I'm talking about rewards. But they're gonna have a rude awakening at the Bema when, they have to be, when God asks them, you know, what, what'd you do for me? Oh, Nothing. I was scared or I was scared of man. I feared man more than I feared you. Well, let me tell you, fear of man will lead you to sin. Fear of God will keep you from sin. So you have to think of that, you have to use that. And we don't do these things to gain God's love. We don't do these things to gain his love. We do these things because he loves us already. And so that's gonna be a sad moment when you have to do it. Now this grief, this regret and this sorrow obviously isn't gonna go on forever. In heaven, but they'll have to face that. And I can tell you guys, I don't want to hear you, wicked and lazy servant. What did you do for me? I pray that we all hear, good and you, good and faithful servant. So, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. So, basically, here is it's talking about the if you, if you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't use your opportunity, God's gonna use someone else, right? If you don't take the opportunity, someone else, will, uh, someone else will be given the opportunity to save this nation, as Mordecai is telling Esther, if you don't take this, someone else is gonna do it because God's will will be accomplished and you know that he will never allow His Jews to be wiped, the Jews to be wiped out. He will never allow his people to go. So he's trying to tell her, look, you gotta do something, take a stand. Take this opportunity, don't lose out. Guys, God invites us to be able to be a part of his plan, that we all get to be a part of it, that we all get to stand up and fight against this evil. But if we don't, God's will is still gonna be accomplished and you're gonna miss out. You're gonna have lost opportunities. You're gonna possibly have lost rewards. So we have an opportunity to make a difference. The Lord has set before us the opportunity to stand up against evil, to resist evil, at least in the pocket of life and at least in our mission field. So whatever we're doing, we have an opportunity. And this is the defining moment in the life of Esther. This is what we know her by, right? We all know her by this. And there have been many defining moments in the Bible when we look at it. All the people in the Bible, we have Moses confronting Pharaoh and the Exodus, David and Goliath, Daniel and the lion's did, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown into the fiery furnace. Talk about taking a stand. If we die, we die. If the Lord deliver us, he deliver us. But either way, I'm not gonna bow down. And he, they didn't. And they went all the way. We have to be like that. So application, this is the, This time that we are in could be many defining or could be many opportunities to be our defining moments. These could all possibly be our defining moments. So we have to think about that. We don't wanna miss out on those things. Switch it here to Frank here in just a sec. So I'll just finish up with this. Defining moments prove to us and others our character, our faith, our willingness to fight in the spiritual battle, our willingness to sacrifice, our willingness to get in the trenches and gut it out all the way. So now is not a time to go bury your head in the sand or sit on the spiritual couch, so to speak, because because the world's getting so bad, so I just want to give up. No, now's the time to take a stand. Now's the time to resist. Now's the time to let the Holy Spirit resist evil through us because we were all born for a time just as this. And so I'm gonna end right there and I'm gonna let Pastor Frank finish it off. That's a tough one to follow up. Uh,
0: So just so you know, um, how we figure out who's going to go first, Pastor Brandon's had us uh, run an obstacle course. And so uh, I'll let you guys figure out who won, okay? So, uh, but anyways, if if it's your first time here again, welcome. I'm Pastor Frank. I'm one of the associate pastors here. So if you're new here, welcome. Uh, Like I always say, don't be disappointed. Don't be sad if Pastor Brandon's not here, because you get us, okay? So uh, we'll do our best to give you guys... What uh, the word says, so uh, hopefully from this you'll be encouraged you'll be charged you'll be ready to go okay so let 's uh pick it up i 'll pick it up where uh Brett left off, so our ability to stand against evil must be uh, will be sourced in our biblical beliefs, okay, so we have to have that root of uh, ability to be able to stand in our biblical beliefs. we cannot stand on our own, we cannot stand on our own systems that we we create in our mind we can't uh be sourced in the world what the world will tell us that we need to do because those things won't won't stand those things won't stand the test of time we can be washed away with those beliefs so it has to be rooted in biblical beliefs and so we're gonna i'm gonna cover verse 15 and 16 and uh we'll pick up from there so 15 says, Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. And my maids and I will fast likewise. So here we see that more, uh, Esther, she's talking to her cousin and saying, hey, He's, she's getting the picture here of what her cousin is telling her and uh, She's learning, okay? shes I mean, she's recalling. What's the first thing that she's doing? Is that she's going into prayer, all right? That's the first thing that we gotta be able to do when we're faced with consequences or not challenges in our life. The first thing is we gotta do is we gotta go to prayer, okay? Very first thing. I know it's hard. Guys, I know it's hard because what's the first thing we wanna do? We wanna fix it, right? Let me fix the problem. Ladies, what do we wanna do? Well, what do you ladies wanna do? Control it, right? Let me control, the, let me control it, okay? Guys, let me fix it. Ladies, let me control it, okay? But what we got to do is we got to go to prayer first, okay? In the midst of the storm, whatever is going, guys, ladies, you guys have to stop. First thing, what are we doing? Go to prayer. Very first thing, practice, okay? And I know that's hard sometimes because depending on the situation you're dealing with, It might be heated, right? Well, hold on, let's pray about this. Or it might be something we're dealing with with another family member. Let's stop what we're doing and we need to start praying, okay? So that's one thing that we need to take from Esther is being able to uh, pray. So Mordecai is reminding, uh, let me go back. Mordecai is reminding Esther of all the things that she's learned. She knew the scriptures, She knew what what God had given her, okay? She had uh, been taught, he'd been taught her growing up, they were cousins, so he knew exactly what was um, being asked of her. So uh, in that, so she goes to prayer and he's reminding her, okay, not to be presumptuous with God. Don't go out of your boundaries of what God has. You have to stay within those boundaries. Stay within the boundaries. God controls His history through providence. So, like Pastor Brett was saying, He's going to get the job done. But are you going to be the one that's going to be used for it? Because if not, I'll get somebody else. And that could be the same as applied to us. Don't miss out on the blessing. Because if the opportunity arises, jump on it. Because if not, He's going to use somebody else. Uh, God is faithful to preserve Israel because of His promise to Abraham. God is a promise, God is a man of his word. And he's gonna hold tight to his promise. He's gonna, and that's the thing we can see through history. God is a man of his word and he's going to do what he says and he's gonna stick to his word. God is faithful. God will not be left without a witness. So he's a reminder of that. Is that he, whatever, whoever he chooses is gonna be someone who's going to He's going to use as a witness and they're going to be able to stand. So so those are some things that we can learn from Esther. So what do we, how do we, what are we to learn from this? Okay. So it's this people's actions are based on their belief system. All right. So our belief systems are going to control, are going to basically impact our actions and our behaviors. So, We can be Christians and have some. I mean, we we're Christians here, you know, and we can have a belief system that might be something ingrained in us when we were a child, right? Where, yeah, we believe, you know, we're saved, but we think that maybe uh, we have some off thing that might not be biblical. It's just something that family has passed down, right? So those might impact our actions and behaviors. But this one here is is pragmatism, okay? So some people believe in pragmatism. Does it work in my life? How I like to put it is, uh, the ends justifies the means. I don't care how the job gets done, just get it done. I don't care if the job violates policy, scripture, whatever it is, get the job done. It works for me. And we can see this in society, where now the youth, the, the, the young, uh, youth, young adults, Right now it's about get money. I don't care how it is, and it's literally, that's what they say, get money. All right? So that's what's being taught to our kids and our youth. So it doesn't matter how you get money, just get money by lying, cheating, stealing, instead of working hard, doing these things. So the ends justify the means, and you can see that all over. You can see that in businesses. You can see that in policy. You can see that in churches. I don't, care. I don't care how uh, you grow the church, grow the church. Whatever that means, just get your church bigger. If that means uh, not, you know, skipping some verses or not ruffling some feathers, then go ahead. Yeah, let's do that. Relational, does this fulfill my selfish needs? So what is this, how does this benefit me? How is this going to benefit? Uh, the, how's the outcome going to benefit my income, my house, my life, my family, my selfish needs? Experiment, uh, experimental. So this is based on feelings. Yeah, you know, you hear some people say, "Yeah, you know, I, I like going to the, I, I like going to Rock Harbor, but I just don't feel good when I leave. You know, it's just not. It's just." Too political. I wanna go somewhere where, you know, they're gonna make me feel good, I'm gonna get something out of it, right? Get that liver quiver and that, uh, you know, that feeling of feeling good when you leave there. Here's fantasy, there's the next one. It's my belief, therefore it's true, okay? How many times have we seen this? And we see a huge portion of it now. But you see it in the you see it in the Christian walk as well, and we see it in 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 society. We see it in family members. It is uh, fantasy, therefore it's true. It's my belief. It's what I feel, um, and we we can go down the line the list of things that people believe that think that they're true. So I'm going to touch on a few of these um, things here. So. This is gonna be on kind of a global scale, right? And we've been seeing these things come through, okay? So the Senate's gonna pass a $700 billion inflation reduction bill. Okay, so how does that, we're gonna make print more money to reduce inflation? I mean, what kind of belief system is that? It's insanity, fantasy, right? Crazy. And now we're learning there's gonna be like armed agents now, IRS, and you know, eighty seven thousand or eighty-seven thousand agents, you know, gonna be armed and insane, right? So we look at this and we can see that belief systems will also they'll hold on to belief system and then they'll change it'll change whatever the course of time is, right? And we've seen that inconsistency in society. Right, and so here's another one: Biden executive ex- order using a palate state for abortions to use in Medicaid. All right, so what does this serve? My selfish needs, right? I can't afford a kid. I'm just gonna go ahead and abort the child. We'll go ahead and just kill the child. You know what? I just can't afford it. So my selfishness. I'm gonna use, you know, get an abortion because I'm selfish and uh, I don't want to raise a child. I'm too young. I have other things, I can't play sports, I can't get a career, all these lies. So, their belief system is going to change, is going to impact their action. Here's another one. This poor lady, now we can call her a lady Demi Lovato. She's going back to she and her pronouns. So, there's an example there. She goes with the time, right? She changes. It's not, she doesn't, obviously doesn't have any, it's not biblical beliefs. Obviously, we need to pray for this lady because she has some issues going on. I don't know what would cause somebody to do that, but we know that there's issues there. This one just came out yesterday, right? I don't know if you guys have seen this, but Fauci says that he symbolizes consistency, integrity, and truth. He causes it, he calls it the Fauci factor. Like, he literally says, it's it's an interview you can see, he says it's the Fauci factor and that, you know, he's applauding himself, that he's the minister of truth and that he he's the great unifier. It's just, it's crazy. I feel like you watch it and you're just like, what world am I living in? Like, am I in the fantasy world? Because, again, so his belief system is forming his behavior and identity. We We, we know what spirit is behind that, but... You can plainly see it. That's insane. Here's another one: living in a fairytale. Republicans plaster White House for saying inflation rose zero percent. Oh, is that insane? Like, are they not going grocery shopping like we are? Are they not filling their tank of gas like us? I mean, I don't get it. Right? It's fantasy. So this is on a larger scale, right? So I'm, I'm gonna show you guys, I know this is not in the church and we can expect this stuff from society. So it's not really, shouldn't really surprise us, especially here We you can see the craziness that goes on. Here's another one. Uh, Hillary, Hillary Hinton, Clinton, she uh, tweets while touting job numbers, declining gas prices and Democrat-backed measure. Good job, Biden. So she's thanking him. Touting him, I'm like, "Where are we living in a fantasy? We're this is fantasy. It's insanity. So it's outside of the biblical foundation of what you and I we we get it, we see it, and we're like, okay, I don't know, this makes no sense, okay. But like I said, this is the outside, and I know this is not, you know, involving the church, so." I get it, right? We all understand that it's, it's insanity out there. But let's look at some numbers going on the inside, okay? Let's look at some, some church numbers. So Josh McDowell did a survey uh, a while ago. He, uh, he, did, he did a survey on 3,700 uh, kids, Christian, born-again evangelical, okay? So we lay the foundation on that. So here's some stats. 63% of, of our kids think Muslims, Buddhists, Christians, Jews, and all other people pray to the same God, even though they use different names for their God. 63%, folks. 70%, there is no such thing as absolute moral truth. Two people could define truth in conflicting ways and both be correct. So how do they determine what's right or wrong? Have you heard this out outside say, well, that's your truth. It doesn't make sense to me. Someone's got to be wrong. 72% tell if someone is morally, 72% believe you can tell if someone is, something is morally wrong, ethically right for you by whether you think it works in your life. I am blown away. 51% after Jesus was crucified and died, he did not return to physical life. 65% the devil or Satan is not a living being, but is a symbol of evil. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That one is, auth- that belief is authored by Satan himself. He's, I'm just a symbol, guys. I'm not really evil. As, uh, as, you know, Wednesday nights, we know, yeah, you're evil, dude, and you are real, okay? And your day is coming, the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's presence or power, but is not a living entity. That's another lie from the pit of hell, right? We know that the Holy Spirit is moving and is active and is alive and well today. And he moves through each and every one of us. Okay, so that's the church, folks, right? And, and, and my wife and I, Crystal, we often, we look around the world and we, often, we, we think like, we'll have these conversations like, what do people do without the Lord? Like, like how do they function? You know, how, how, how do they survive? And, and I think we think about, I think about like, man, I don't know, man, if I, if I was not grounded with my foundation in the Lord and have biblical beliefs, I don't know where I'd be. I'd be washed ashore somewhere, like, I don't know. So let me give you some stats, okay? And these are like astronomical numbers. So 200%, these are people not on, without the Lord, right? Biblical foundation, non-believers, okay? 225% are more likely to be angry with life. This is why you see a lot of road rage. You see a lot of people getting beat up or punched in the face at McDonald's because they didn't get six, if they got five chicken nuggets instead of six, this is why, I mean, you can see it out there. It's just we an angry world, a dark world. 260% are most likely to be resentful. 216%. 210% most likely to lack a purpose in life. So when you lose that, when you lack that, what, what purpose do you have to even be alive? That's why suicide's going up, murder's going up. You have no purpose. Eh, I'll just... I'm nobody. 200% to be, most, to be disappointed in life. 200% likely to steal. We see that rise. 200, so just go on the stealing part. Uh, we, side note, we have a ministry. We started a ministry at the mall. We'll be announcing. We're getting up and going. But you go down to the mall and you see there's guards. The stores have their own security guards at their almost all the doors. I think the Apple store had like three security guards. I'm like, dude, that's a lot of money just to pay a guy to be on his phone. wasn't watching anybody. Most <laughs> real story. Two hundred percent likely to be to physically hurt somebody. We see violence just skyrocketing. It's insane. It's it's horrible. Three hundred more percent more likely to use illegal drugs. When I thought I was thinking. Is that in California? Because we know uh, marijuana is legal in California, so it's got to be some more, you know, at least illicit drugs like fentanyl and meth and all these other things. And here's the kicker: 600 more, more likely percent, 600 percent more likely to commit suicide. Wow. And all these, all these, that one is the bottom. But if you think about it, they all compile, and that becomes the end result. Saddening. Saddening. So these are people without Jesus, guys. This is why we we need to get out, evangelize, share the gospel, disciple, be about our Lord's business. So our our attitudes and actions come from what we believe, and our core beliefs come from objective evidence. Okay? That's evidence from the Bible. We don't have a blind faith and a lot of people believe that, oh, you're a Christian, you believe all, you have a blind faith, and you believe all these things without any evidence. Hmm. I want to ask them, do you believe in the moon landing? Because there's theories that we didn't go there. And some of these people weren't around to be there, but they still believe it. I'm willing to bet there's more evidence about the biblical truth about Jesus than there is about the moon landing. I'm not saying, no, I'm not a conspiracy guy. Okay, I'm not going to say we didn't go to the moon. You have your own belief on that. But I'm just saying that you think about things like that as, okay, you believe we would, you have the, a blind belief that we went to the moon, but then you won't look at the evidence for Jesus and the Bible and all of the stories of Old and New Testament, they don't believe in. So our attitudes and actions come what we believe, and they should, like I said, become in, uh, from biblical truth. But the object, you know, the, our belief system is going to continue to form of our actions and our behaviors. So back to Esther. So Esther had only a few minutes to decide of what to do. What she needed to because of her, because of her biblical belief, she uh, was compelled to act. So Mordecai knew, he, Mordecai knew Esther. He raised her and trained her. He knew her character. He taught her. He knew what she was made out of. But all she needed, but what she needed to do was just go back to her biblical faith and act. So we must understand when we stand up for evil, we will need to sacrifice. Verse, So that's coming from verse 16. And here we go. Esther says, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Wow. Could you imagine the faith to do something like that, to take a stand and say, "You know what? Whatever will be, will be. If it's the Lord, will save me. If He doesn't, it'll be." So Esther now understands the gravity of the moment as she uh, is getting ready to take a stand. She's aware that it might cost her her life, because we know that you don't walk and just walk waltz right into the court. You have to be called. So she understood this. So she might have to pay the ultimate sacrifice in losing her life, but she was prepared to do so. She is okay with the, my, the the possibility of perishing because of her biblical beliefs. So along with Esther, we can look at others who have taken a stand like Pastor Brett was saying. Daniel in the lion's den, when he refused to uh, when, he, when he refused to bow down or refused to adopt the Babylonian religion, when he refused to not pray. Just like uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were getting ready to throw in the fire, he said, if the Lord rescues us, then he will. If he doesn't, he doesn't. So what do, can we learn from that? So most of the time, God doesn't tell, ask us to take a one-time stand, most of the time. Sometimes, yes, but most of the time he doesn't. He doesn't t- typically ask us to go out in a blaze of glory. He doesn't typically ask us to uh, burn at the stake or be s- beheaded by the guillotine. What he asked us to do is to make sacrifices daily. And I liken it, I put this picture up here because it's like swinging an axe. Every day, you're swinging that axe. And I don't know if some of you guys ever chopped wood, but it's tiring. And that's what it is. And your arms get fatigued, and you're chopping away, and it doesn't seem to be doing anything. It might be your axe is dull, but it doesn't seem to do anything, and you get tired. But what we have to remember is that we got to keep swinging that axe. Little by little, day after day, a little here, a little there. We got to keep chopping. We got to keep chopping. So when we're doing that, when we liken it to, to staying in the fight, you can liken it to staying in the fight, swinging that axe, staying in the game, all these things to, stay, to stand against evil. This is coming from Paul. This is a great example. Paul is not taking the, paying the ultimate sacrifice, but it's day by day. And it comes from 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four, 24, where he tells us everything that it costs him. And this is what he says. It says, from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten by rods, once stoned, three times shipwrecked. A night and day I have been, I have been in the deep, in journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils of the sea, in perils amongst false brethren, in weariness and total toil, in sleeplessness often in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Talking about some grit, man. This is why I love love Jesus, but Paul, I can't wait to meet him. You want to talk about some grit, you're going to talk about Paul. Think about all those things. All that to take a stand, to stand up for the truth, to stand up for the Messiah, to stand up for the biblical, what the Lord taught and biblical beliefs. There is an illustration that says, it's kind of like this. It goes, someone said, we think giving all of our to Lord is like giving the Lord a $1,000 bills and laying it on the table. saying, here's my life, Lord. I give it all to you. Do what you want for it. Well with it, right? And if you think about it, usually, in reality, God will send us back, send us to the bank and have us cash in that $1,000 for change, for quarters. And what we end up doing is, day by day, we end up, we end up, sorry. By day by day, we end up giving 50 cents here, 25 cents here. Day by day, we end up giving up a little bit. So again, it's not one huge sacrifice. It, it's giving up day by day. It's swinging that ax, man. Giving that, staying in the fight. So here's the application. So what are we going to do to stand against evil? All right. So Francis Schaeffer, he hit the nail on the head. He he was talking as about believers, right? There was two things that he said about believers. He said affluence and personal peace. So here in the U.S., we can see an affluence, right? We can still see in a recession. We still see people driving around in $80,000 to $100,000 pickup trucks. Okay, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that, but you look at that and you say, "Man, how do you afford an $80,000 Rubicon that's fit for the trails and you just drive it to Target?" <laughs> I don't know. So, as long as as long as we can have the cars, as long as we can have the money, as long as we can have the vacations, as long as we can have these things, I'm good. If you give me those things, I won't speak up for evil because you know what? The system actually gives me those things and I'm okay with it. I'm not gonna speak up against it. I'm not gonna say anything. I don't wanna ruffle those feathers. I don't wanna lose my stuff. And the personal piece is this. As long as I can live my life without being disturbed or getting in the mix, then I'm good. I'll stay out of it. I won't say anything. Just let me sit on the couch. Let me eat my peanuts. Let me watch the game. And I'm not gonna say anything. But there's one more thing that I'd like to add that I think is a problem. It's fear. Fear and we've seen this in the last few years, we've seen it, a bright light has been shown on it. It's fear. Fear is so gripping that it can cause us not to do, it will freeze us up, it will cause us not to do anything. You see, you'll see people driving, and I know we've talked about this before, driving with a mask on, there's nobody in their car, it makes you wonder why are they doing that? I think it's fear. You see people walking in the park with their dog. There's nobody around them. They're wearing a mask and it's because it's fear. And this is not just believers too. This is believers as well. But the ultimate is, is fear of losing their life or fear of losing things to, uh, you know, if they speak up, hey, I'm going to lose my job or I might lose my position. I might lose my credibility at work. And so it creates the same apathy of the lukewarmness of the Laodicean church, just as Pastor Brett was saying. So Satan knows that. So Satan knows these things. And he, and he knows that if he can give us, if we can just stay focused on affluence, we can stay uh, focused on uh, our personal peace, and if he can stay focused on fear, then he can just lullaby the Christian to sleep and just tuck them in and say, now, now, everything's okay. Just keep your mouth shut, Christian. Let me pacify you. Don't speak up. Don't stand up for um, biblical truths. Don't stand up, don't stand with uh, Kathy Miller and her freedom to, make, to, freedom to make her cakes. Don't stand up against abortion. Don't be down at the clinic. It's hot down there. You wanna stand out in front of the clinic? Abortion clinic, there's nothing going on. Just go home. You don't want to go out there. They're going to call you names. They're going to wave the middle finger at you and tell you you're number one. Right? So if he can get us to do those things and get us to not take a stand, then evil will have its way. So here's the question. Are you willing to sacrifice your affluence, your personal peace and your life, to stay, take a stand for Christ. And again, when I'm not talking about going to the guillotine. I'm not talking about being burnt at the stake. I'm talking about a daily fight. Are you willing to bear your cross? Are you willing to, to bear the shame of what Christ did and what the cross has done for us? That's ultimately what it is. So one more thing, and I'll let you go. We're running out of time here. So, the story of Telemachus. I don't know if you guys guys may have heard of Telemachus. Maybe familiar, maybe not of this story. If you have, it'll be a good refresher for you. So, Telemachus was an Asian monk. He lived on the countryside. Uh, He was a a Christian, okay? He lived on the countryside. He had a garden. A small framed man tended his garden. Was living in peace. He would sell his fruits and vegetables to make a living. And one day while he was tending his garden, he heard the Holy Spirit say, I need you to go to Rome. And at first he refused. He didn't want to go to Rome. Eventually he followed the prompting of the Holy Spirit. It took him a couple of weeks to get to Rome from where he was. But when he got there, he saw a huge Colosseum roaring with with people cheering and people pouring into this giant infrastructure. And as he went in, he can see the arena of the Colosseum was full. And he could see a man down at the the dirt floor of the Colosseum, it was uh, where they fought, and he saw a man that says, Hail Caesar, today I will die for you. Telemachus says, "says it uh, out in Christ's name, stop!" And the crowd is cheering when he's saluting Caesar. So they begin to fight. The gladiators begin to fight. Telemachus runs down. He jumps over the wall into the arena, and he stands and he stands there and says, "In Christ's name, stop!" And they can hear the crowd cheering and ranting, run him through, run him through. And the gladiator, he runs his sword through Telemachus. Telemachus falls to the ground on the dirt bleeding. He says in Christ's name, stop. As, as the gladiator standing there looking at him, the crowd goes silent. Not a pin, drop could, a pin drop could be heard in, the, in that Colosseum. It was quiet. And one by one, people get up and start to leave the Colosseum. And you should know from that day, there was no other gladiator fights. That was the last day of the gladiator fights in Rome. So what can we learn from that? that sometimes one person can make a difference. One person down at the abortion clinic can make a difference. One person at the mall can make a difference. One person at the park can make a difference. Wherever you're at, you can make a difference. Let's pray and we'll get you going. Dear God, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and your blessing, Lord, and thank you for all that you have done for us, Lord. And God, we just are so thankful for this opportunity that Brett and I have had to be able to uh, be up here and preach. Lord, what a a privilege it is, Lord. We do not take it lightly. And Father God, we pray for everyone here, Lord, as as they go about their day and their week, that they can uh, reflect on these things that we've learned today, Lord, and things that we've learned through Esther. And Father God, we love you, Lord, and we just ask a blessing upon it, and we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.